Welcome to Belief Beat. I'm John Horner Eibler, your host for this week. So I'm just going to start this by saying the the last couple of podcasts we've done have been uh, centered around our reactions to and living with the pandemic and COVID-19. And those have been uh, some really good conversations. And I'm so appreciative of the people who have joined us. We did think, though, that every once in a while we kind of need a break from uh, uh, all things COVID. And the perfect person for that is the person who's joining us for this particular podcast. Let me just tell you a little bit about uh, some of his experiences. So among other things, uh, he's been a field professor of ornithology at Northland College, a field naturalist, a field technician, a nest surveyor, a hawk counter, a research biologist, and an avian tour leader. Uh, His name is Eric Brunke, and Eric, welcome to today's podcast. Thank you, John. Very happy to be here with you. It's really cool to have you, Eric. So in case you didn't guess from my introduction of Eric, uh, Eric just has a lifelong passion and interest uh, in anything related to birds and their habitats. And uh, we just thought he'd be a really good person to to chat with today and for you to listen to because uh, he knows this stuff and he articulates it really well. And so we're just really glad uh, to have you with us today, Eric. And uh, we have a half hour to talk, and there's no way we're going to be able to touch on everything. But let's get started. And uh, I thought a good place to start is kind of where I'm at, which is uh, we feed birds at home. We're, we're kind of interested in birds, but uh, we're, we're just such you know basic lay people. And I think that would be true of most people. So I, I think when most people think of birds, they think of watching them. But they, they're also very musical as well. And so I, I thought for somebody like you, for whom it's more of your profession and avocation, uh, where do you start? When, when you think of a bird, do you think of their calls or their looks or something else entirely? Yeah, John, um, there's different ways to, to look at birds, both figuratively and literally. Um, when getting into birds from scratch, when you're brand new to it, I would say focused on on the visual component of birds first. And a lot of that has to do with how our brains are. Uh, humans by nature are very visual um, from you know our advertisements, how we see our daily lives. Um, there's a lot of stimulation from a visual sense. Um, we are of course auditory too, uh, but that takes a little more practice. So for appreciating birds in your yard and also maybe while out hiking or just getting into them, um, or even if you're an avid bird watcher, um, there's something to be said about seeing the birds. And once you see enough birds, you can start to watch the bird or uh, to uh, listen to the birds. And um, uh, without too much tangent, one of the things that I found uh, when I taught ornithology is the students that consistently did the best on on the exams that I made and also just in their time in the field, um, I found that those were the students that watched the birds sing because you get a much greater appreciation, kind of a bird watching zen almost, when you do the audio and the visual together. Um, it's, it makes it more sentimental on a personal note, but also it makes it easier to learn birds when you watch a bird sing. Uh, uh, so go, go a little bit further with that. I guess for people who really haven't thought too much about birds other than the fact that they fly, uh, Help us gain a little appreciation for like 
the diversity and range of what we're seeing when we think of birds. Yeah. So the whole world of birds is absolutely fascinating. And being in Wisconsin, um, I'm not there currently, but I have to say I, I do miss it greatly too for, for birds and, of course, family and connection reasons um, with my roots. Um, the, the bird life in Wisconsin is legendary. Um, there are over 400 species that have been documented in Wisconsin alone. And we're not talking about Midwest, we're talking about the state borders of Wisconsin. Now, of those over 400 species, uh, 226 of those breed regularly, meaning they arrive from either uh, local areas or they arrive from the tropics to spend their springs and summers to raise their young in Wisconsin every year. So it's a it's an impressive magnitude of bird life that's found there. And this is one of the cool catches too, Pastor John, in that every bird has a home sweet home. You know, kind of like how we have our home sweet homes. Some people are city dwellers. Some people love to be out in the cabins like you and I, yeah. <laughs> like out camping, for example. And, um, and so every bird has a certain habitat. Part of the reason why Wisconsin is so special is that there are a great variety of habitats, you know, from the southern areas to the north woods and every place in between. And um, going along with that, too, a lot of birds fly through Wisconsin on their way up to Canada because of what's called the central flyaway. And it's a uh, it's a major migratory corridor where millions of birds uh, funnel through like the, the Wisconsin, Minnesota area every year um, to this northern forest. Uh, for those listening to the podcast who are local to the church, um, as, as as far as where your home sweet homes are, uh, one of my personal favorite places to go nearby is, is called the Kettle Moraine State Forest, uh, right. specifically at this area called Lapham Peak. And uh, it's the highest point in Waukesha County. Um, and there's a mix of oak forests and pine forests and um, grasslands, too. So it attracts a lot of birds to that area. Uh, I think for most people who are listening, they will be local and they will know that uh, really well. Is Can I just uh, interject? So has that migratory period, uh, the spring migratory period through Wisconsin, has that already kind of ended or are there still some birds at this point that would be passing through on their way north? Yeah, uh, being about the third or fourth week of May, um, quite a few birds have come through. Um, but quite a few birds actually have not come through yet. Uh, oh, really? So that's, that's um, yeah. Okay, cool. Well, uh, uh, so many directions to go. Uh, let's back up a little bit. You lead tours and uh, have done a lot of like field research in a lot of places. Tell us about a, a, maybe one or two that have been your favorites uh, in terms of what you saw and experienced and the uh, not only the birds, but kind of the maybe the the people or the place. Yeah, there's. Uh, I've been very blessed and fortunate, John, with with my with my professions over the year of of doing so many bird related jobs. Um, currently, my profession is being a birding tour guide, and um, especially with with that, um, I've been very fortunate to have visited some areas that I've dreamed of since I was a little boy and, and since my earlier years of getting to, to, to know you personally. Um, I've, I've always loved the northern forests and um, once every year now, um, in, in typical years, uh, during the month of June, I, I go up to Alaska and um, it is, uh, some people call it the final frontier 
um, for good reason. It's it's vast. The forests are truly ancient. Uh, the birds are very unique. Uh, there is, I mean, I could spend an hour just talking about that alone. Um, um, a few well, other places. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's a uh, region of Texas, um, which is a very um, kind of birdy area of Texas called the Hill Country. And it's um, it's uh, in the in the, the the typical heart of Texas, if you will. So west of Austin, west of San Antonio, and it's a unique landscape where uh, where the ground is made of limestone. So so the ground is like oh. this very pearly white look. Um, there's um, various trees like junipers and live oaks, which glow this unique shade of green. And there's a few birds in particular that breed in central Texas, nowhere else in the entire world. So as a bird watcher, you you go there to see the scenery. A beautiful uh, landscape and birds, and then you have um, a Heart of Texas barbecue in, in the evening. So it's a pretty fun place to visit. So uh, when we send out this podcast, we'll include a link to Eric's uh, Facebook page, if that's okay, Eric. And, oh, please do. And uh, in addition to uh, posting cool things about birds, he occasionally posts really cool things on local cuisine. So. Uh, as soon as you mentioned a little barbecue, I thought, oh yeah, that sounds, that sounds like Eric's other little application. <laughs> hey, so for those yeah. of us who can't make it to central Texas or to Alaska, here we are in southeastern Wisconsin. Uh, you know, we look out the window and we see some birds. Uh, can you take us through maybe a top half dozen or so, uh, of the birds that we most typically kind of coexist with here in Wisconsin? A sure thing, John. Um, there's a, um, let's start off with the state bird of Wisconsin, the American Robin. Um, it's actually, a, I, I have to be honest too, it's a personal favorite of mine, um, even for as numerous as they are. You know, many of us have them in our yards. Yeah. Um, the American Robin is this beautiful uh, thrush, so kind of a mid-sized songbird. Um, they have this rusty red uh, front from the neck down. They have dark wings like dark slate gray wings the females have a light gray head the males have a black head it's ah. one of the things to look for with telling them apart okay i've always wondered that how do you tell them apart yeah yeah okay <laughs> yeah and um yeah and they they're 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 one of the songsters that'll go first thing in the morning before the sun comes up and one of the last birds to be heard as the sun is going down in your own yards so um definitely noteworthy to start out with them yeah. Okay. Um, another bird uh, is the uh, red-winged blackbird, uh, which for those that, that have bird feeders, uh, you probably have seen uh, considerable amounts of them coming through in recent, recent weeks. Um, the males are all black, about 95% black, with beautiful chevrons of yellow and red on their wings. Females, on the other hand, are mostly brown with vertical up and down brown streaks down their front. Uh, blue jay is another one that I would say would be good to to talk about. Um, this this large ruckus songbird with a with a fancy little tuft on top of its head. Mm -hmm. um, they have this beautiful matrix of of white and blue throughout their throughout their folded wings. Uh, deep deep shades of cerulean blue throughout their body. Really really striking bird. Um, one of the birds that got me into just bird watching is the black capped chickadee. They're uh, they're also found throughout the state of Wisconsin. And they are known for their their cheeseburger call, the cheeseburger. Oh, right. Okay. Yes, yeah, so, and and that little cheeseburger song 
you will only hear this time of year through early uh, early summer because that's how they attract each other. So they do that for courtship, then they refrain the rest of the year. Ah, okay. So yeah, little little black and white mask on a cute yep. little pocket-sized bird. Okay. Uh, how could we forget the northern cardinal? Um, males are mostly red with a black mask and a red beak. Females are similar but very brown-toned, each beautiful in their own way. So, um, and uh, one more for good measure, um, American goldfinch. Um, uh, they, they radiate lemon yellow throughout their body. They're so striking. Um, the males um, are extra bright yellow with black wings, little white wing bars. And uh, females are more olive color. They blend in with their surroundings a little bit better, which is a good uh, adaptation for when you're, when you're considering how they nest. That is a awesome summary. I, I know you could do like dozens <laughs> more, but uh, thanks for at least getting us started with, with the basics. Now, some of those uh, birds are here year round and some of them migrate. Uh, tell us a little bit about the ones, a couple of the ones that migrate uh, like we feed birds in our backyard, so of course robins, uh, hummingbirds. Where do like where do robins go in the winter? Where do hummingbirds go in the winter? Yeah, so the uh, I'll actually go into details from the previous question first off about those two birds in particular, John. Uh, Ruby-throated hummingbirds. Um, they are the smallest bird to be found in Wisconsin. Uh, they are only found in Wisconsin, of course, during the warmer months. Uh, during the, the cooler months, they go down to areas, um, Central America, I've seen them in Panama in midwinter, um, through Mexico, and some of the hardy ones will linger ar around the Gulf of Mexico. But keep in mind, these, these birds, which truly weigh uh, a mere few ounces, uh, migrate thousands of miles every year. That, that's it's, just mind-boggling. I've got to imagine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and the um, for those that have um, uh, flowers in your yard, and if you and and or if you have feeders in your yard, uh, for the hummingbirds, you'll see that some are are um, red throated and some are all white on the front. Uh, the females are the all white fronted ones with the green backs. Males are green backed with this brilliant like crimson ruby red throat. So they're they're quite striking. Um, uh, you and I had the pleasure of talking shortly before this recording of Baltimore Orioles visiting your yard. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, my mom and dad, uh, texted me a few days ago, letting me know that they also had Baltimore Orioles. Um, they love, uh, sweet things like orange halves and they also go after insects. Um, they, they're the, the shade of orange on a Baltimore Oriole rivals fire. Um, they are so brilliantly bright orange. And this is another bird that, because they eat predominantly insects in the wild, they go way south to where insects are available during the winter months, like Mexico, uh, Central America. Um, another bird of note on the different color spectrum is called an indigo bunting. Mm. And this is a bird that, doesn't matter what your favorite color is, this bird will make your day should you see one. Um, the, the males are entirely, it's like a mix of, ocean blue with cerulean blue on every inch of their body. And they're also pocket-sized like goldfinches. And they go down um, to Cuba and Central America. Um, they, um, they will visit bird feeders like some of the other um, smaller songbirds like goldfinches. I'm, I'm still kind of hung up on the, on the hummingbirds making this amazing uh, journey. 
what's like the lifespan? Do you know what the lifespan is of something like a hummingbird? Like how many Ooh. times in a life do they make that journey once or twice or? That's a great question for the Googles. <laughs> uh, shoot. Okay. Okay. No, that's all right. Um, one thing, one thing that, that, that is pretty crazy and I'll get a little, um, little uh, textbooky for just a moment. Okay. Um, so ruby-throated hummingbirds have a disproportionately fast metabolism, uh, which allows them to, to flap as fast, for their heart to beat as fast as they do. Because of that, they have to feed more often. Now here's the kicker about ruby-throated hummingbirds. Um, because of their high metabolism, they actually have to shut down their body to unusually slow uh, speeds during migration and when foods are hard to come by. And they go into this, this, um, this internal state called torpor, T-O-R-P-O-R, which is kind of like a, a controlled state of hibernation. And what they do is they not only fall asleep, but their bodies will actually become chilled, like cooling down past, past a typical lethal level um, to where they're able to basically kind of put their, 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 their body on pause for the night. And then they wake up in the morning and, and resume feeding from this, this controlled state of hibernation. So this is fairly unique to some of the smallest birds that come through, like ruby-throated hummingbirds. Fascinating. And, and you said they, do they do that every night or only when they're migrating? Um, they'll do it when they're migrating, and they do it especially on colder nights when their, their survival of, of uh, calories and, and just uh, being able to keep up with their own metabolism would, would, would be challenged. Okay. So like, like if we get, like when the hummingbirds come through, if there's a cold snap that comes through, you know, in April and, and like how this May has been, a lot of these hummingbirds that have arrived in our yards before the bulk of the flowers have come out have likely gone into torpor at nighttime to, to survive into the next day. So we, uh, I'm, I'm just curious, uh, we attract a lot of hummingbirds and we both, we put out feeders, but we also grow a lot of uh, flowers that they really like a uh, butterfly bush in particular seems to and sedum yeah. really attracts them is there i sometimes wonder is there any harm in feeding them or is that uh okay that's a great question and that has and that has been talked a lot um by by ornithologists and, and bird watchers of all backgrounds and levels um there's certain things that you shouldn't feed birds and there's things, and there's certain things that are very close to the natural nutrients of what birds consume. Like for example, if you would like to feed um, these these beautiful songbirds seed, which will attract a, a wide variety of birds, uh, uh, sunflower seed is one of the single best seeds to attract birds with, as they um, as they uh, some sunflower seeds um, are preferred by blue jays, cardinals, goldfinches, chickadees, a whole gamut of birds that I haven't even talked about yet love sunflowers. Um, uh, there's some things like hummingbird feeders are great to put out uh, for, um, uh, for this time of year and through the summer. The one catch about hummingbird feeders is that they're a little higher maintenance. And um, also with that being said, some people put red food coloring in their hummingbird nectar which is actually a big no-no. Um, hummingbirds are attracted to red, um, but the red through some studies has been shown to cause issues with the survival of hummingbirds. Uh -huh. So if you do have a hummingbird feeder, um, you know, a, a plant lots of um, butterfly bushes, you know, uh, be beautiful red flowers in your yard, that'll get them to come uh, like, a, like a, you know, 
um, like a big advertisement in your yard. Okay. Uh, but keep the, keep it um, to a uh, solution of one part sugar to four parts water. Uh, mix it, boil it well beforehand, and you'll be good to go for something like that. Um, oranges are another good way to attract Orioles too. Um, so you know, every bird, like I said before, every bird has its own um, has its own food preferences um, and its own habitat. And um, yeah, it, it's perfectly fine to 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 feed birds year round. Um, it 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 will not stop them from migrating. To answer your question, yeah, and their appetite is amazing. I Eric and I were talking before we started recording, and I mentioned that we've been trying to attract Orioles for years, and this year we didn't try, and they actually showed up. But now that we have put the oranges out, uh, I mean, like one Oriole will eat like half of a half of a, like a quarter of an orange in kind of one setting if it's not disturbed, which is right. just amazing to us. It's like, wow. Yeah. Hey, an, another thing that you, you you only kind of touched on a little bit before, but uh, which really concerns me, and I think a lot of people would appreciate your insights on this, is I, I think a lot of us a couple of months ago read about this precipitous decline in the worldwide bird population, like something between 25 and 30 percent. And I think we're all kind of tracking that there are a variety of environmental threats to birds. Uh, what do you think about all of that and, and what's happening to the birds? And is there anything your average person can do to become more aware of this and maybe uh, make a difference in a small way? There are a variety of um, actions that each of us can take, um, and they're all very simple actions, actually, John. Um, and that, that's, that's also a very good question, too, because now more than ever, you know, as, as the human population continues to, to kind of expand, you know, as each state's population expands, um, there's more and more threats to, to the survival of birds. And thankfully, we have places like um, like I mentioned before, the, the the local state parks and all, the, the the these are strongholds from where these birds survive. A lot of birds are found in our yard too. Now, with that being said, one of the single biggest concerns and factors that has been proven to show um, precipitous decline in birds actually is cats being outdoors. And I don't mean to bring this up as a loaded question. Um, but in, in respect to how birds survive, I am going to say that keeping your cat indoors, if you do have cats, which is wonderful, if you keep your cat indoors, you are doing nature a tremendous benefit. Um, cats, um, on average, consume about 2.4 billion birds every year. Um, and this, yeah, it's it's staggering. And it's not like, oh, it, you know, it eats a, it's a bird here, there in the neighborhood, and that's the full extent of this cat's doing um you know baby chipmunks baby bunnies um and a whole other gamut but especially with birds cats there there's a there's a correlation between the increase in outdoor cats kind of free-ranging cats and the and the reduced amount of birds so keeping your cat indoors is one of the single biggest things that we can do to help birds from what you're asking john um also with everyone listening being local um one of my best buds back home tim han um, who, um, who I got to know working at the, uh, the Wild Birds Unlimited store from years ago. Um, he is very involved with both a local birding club out of Waukesha called the Ben Goss Bird Club. Uh, recommend uh, checking them out if you'd like to get more into birds, bird feeding, 
bird watching and, and connecting with other people of similar interests. Um, he's also very involved with the Wisconsin Society for Ornithology, also known as the WSO. And this is a, a statewide organization that plans field trips, um, does a tremendous amount of outreach to, to uh, better inform people of just enjoying birds and, and just doing birds as a whole. Um, this time of year, um, there's a lot of migration taking place and our windows act as a beautiful venue for viewing birds outside, but also windows um, are, are, a, are a growing concern with window collisions and birds hitting them. Um, there's a lot of fatalities that are taking place every year because of windows, especially with, you know, the big buildings. But even on our own windows, if you, if you are fortunate to have a lot of birds in your backyard, I would say putting decals on your windows on the outside, and that'll make your windows more visible so that um, so that the birds aren't um, hitting them and you know it, 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 it's kind of a whole unfortunate matter but um, there's there's a lot of internal damage if not fatalities that take place regularly because of birds hitting windows um, I just did a Facebook plug this morning actually with uh, bird friendly coffee I'm gonna say that I'm addicted to coffee in the morning you know having a little cup here and there it makes makes the world go around <laughs> and uh, um, some coffee is shade grown or, or certified bird friendly, and that makes a big difference with, uh, with helping birds um, as well. Cool. Say again the name of the organization that Tim is associated with. Yeah, there's, there's two of them. Uh, the, the very localized one, which I highly recommend getting into, it's Ben Ghost Bird Club, and it's B-E-N-G-O-S-S, -S, two words, Ben Ghost Bird Club. Uh, okay, okay. Glad you glad you spelled that that out. And again, we'll we'll post a few of those things along with the podcast. Uh, if I can switch gears for just a little bit with you, uh, it still relates to birds, but it kind of relates to you too, because I I I'm curious about the fact that uh, having watched you and your brother and sister grow up, uh, you you each ended up in these really distinct fields that are to me, really your passion. So yours is birds, your brother uh, is a pilot, uh, your sister, interior design. And I'm just kind of curious, when you think back on your upbringing, tell us a little bit about uh, how you think you were raised such that uh, each of you really came to love something and then kind of had the permission to pursue it as adults. Yeah, that's that's. It's it's something that my brother and sister and I are definitely very blessed for, and and not to be cheesy about it either, but really, um, the 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 biggest thanks is um, you know, coming from from mom and dad, how how they instilled us, you know, going to church, learning important values, going on nature walks, growing up. Um, something that I'm very grateful for is just the the sense of connection in my youngest years. That, um, and there's there's you know there's there's a lot to be said about how we are as people and how our upbringings are. Um, in regards to what you're asking specifically about, like my profession, John, um, I think having books available that were relating to, to nature and to birds was, was kind of an addiction raiser for, for me. And I, and I blatantly say that I have a healthy addiction to birds. There is a, uh, a, a magazine that some of you might've heard of. I, I think it still is around called Ranger Rick. And, um, uh, Ranger Rick is yeah. basically it's like uh, it's like National Geographic for for kids in their youngest years, and I remember being glued to Ranger Rick earlier on, uh, learning about you know bears, porcupines, plants, rivers, 
birds of all sorts. Um, um, and I remember too that um, growing up, not only am I blessed once again to be part of a close family, um, but uh, we always made little uh, uh, visits to my grandparents, um, uh, both locally in Mequon, but also up in Rhinelander area. And um, I, I don't know, something about being on a Northwoods Lake, falling asleep with the loons, calling, and just having that, you know, fishing time and everything. I think there was some connection to be said about savoring that as a child as well. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, of course, it's a lot of things. But wow, you you just lift up. I mean, I, I think being blessed to to be raised with a sense of security then, you know, kind of gives you the courage to pursue certain things. And then having access to a couple of uh, resources. I mean, uh, thinking of you in the books and, and Ranger Rick, uh, it, it's something that fed your passion. Yeah. Hey, we're almost out of time, and we, we do have to have you back at some future point because we have, like, so only scratched the surface. But um, maybe yeah. at the wind-down spot, I, I'm often struck by how uh, in the Bible, in the Gospels, uh, Jesus, on a couple of occasions, uh, makes these observations about the the birds of the air, and and you get a sense that even he kind of marveled at uh, these amazing uh, winged creatures. Um, but of course, Jesus was all about uh, human beings. But I, I think he understood that there was some link. So I guess that's kind of an ending point. Um, how do you think that knowing about the birds and caring for the birds enhances our lives as human beings? That's a very, very good question. And that's a very deep question, of course. Um, I, I'm going to answer this both in a biased sense, but also because of, of the relationship that, that you and I have and, and from our, our past experiences too. Um, I, I honestly believe that, that taking care of birds and taking care of nature is one of the most fundamental and important things that we can do to care for the creation that's that encompasses the entire world. And you know, um, I'm I'm saying that as an environmental standpoint, but but truly though, you know, we're all in this together as far as um, living among so many other things in world, humans included. And and I don't know, I'm. People find the connection differently. You know, some people take different venues in life as far as how, how their connections and their 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 lives have laid out um, as far as um, connection with faith. And I I personally feel a spiritual connection every time I'm I'm around birds. You know, it's one of those things where you or where where I I catch myself being left in awe and and wonder, even with the common American robin, for example, which I'll I'll say it again, truly is one of my personal favorite birds. Um, to a lot of bird watchers, they're overlooked at times because they're so abundant. For for me, it's the bird that got me hooked on birds. And I remember seeing on so many of our, our camping trips growing up, you know, going to Kohler Andre State Park, for example, and um, just savoring those moments when we would, um, um, you know, run around the church with the senior high youth group and robins were always part of the late night caroling prior to our our uh our uh, sleep in or our um overnight experiences and i don't know just something about caring for a component of nature is 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 crucial and it's it's um it's 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 very fulfilling i think is the word i'm looking for yeah well yeah that's such a good way of of looking at it eric that i mean i think sometimes people 
think of care for creation as kind of a burden, but to me, it it it's this habitat we're all living in, and and it is fulfilling to care for it and be enhanced by it, and and in the case of birds, to just be surrounded by beauty. I mean, they're they're beautiful with their songs, and they're they're beautiful in in how they look. I wish we had more time to to talk about all this, Eric. Uh, I'm so appreciative of you joining us. Uh, tell us real quickly as we end, where where are you right now, and and what are you doing? I am. Um, in, in the meantime, I am living in Cape May, New Jersey, um, which is a uh, it's a quaint little seaside town that um, has um, a a a very welcoming uh, bird watching community and this um, this uh, this big sense of migration that takes place. It, it's 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 where some of the largest concentrations of birds occur uh, with within the states. So here, partially for for birds and just kind of savoring the the areas. Well, we wish you well in all those things, and uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to talk again another time. But for right now, we have to to wrap it up. So thank you so much again to Eric Brunke uh, for joining us and talking about birds. And I really appreciate anybody who's listening to this right now. Uh, thanks for being with us. Uh, may your day be uh, full and rich and blessed. Goodbye for now. Thank you, John. It's been a pleasure.